You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with you. For those of you who weren't here last week, and I took the Sunday off to this last week, went to Northeast Ohio, and I just want to say thank you to Andy. Didn't he do a great job last week? Just say thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. So he kicked off this series for us called Hashtag Blessed, and uh, what I decided to do is just think through what does it mean to actually be blessed? So the way most of my sermons come about, for those of you who don't know me or maybe newer to Kingsway, is usually I'm curious, extremely curious about things. And so I just go, you know, I've always wondered, what does that mean? And so then I say, hey, why don't I go ahead and teach on it six months from now? And that gives me six months to figure it out. So that's kind of how this series came about. And so I started looking at like, what does it mean to be blessed? And so here's my question for you today. What evidence would you give that you are blessed? If somebody came up to you right now and said, are you blessed? Would you say yes? Would you say no? And then what evidence would you give to prove that? Do you know what it would be? So what I decided to do was go to that ancient wise text called Facebook and decided to look in the search bar under hashtag blessed. Now, nobody knows exactly what Facebook algorithms are doing. I'm not sure that uh, Mr. Zucker knows exactly what is going on with Facebook algorithms, but here's what I found. People in America think of blessing as physical blessings. Take, for instance, Beth, who assumes that her fantastic vacation home is a blessing when she said on November 20th, thank you for the kind words from the pictures on our new beach house I posted last week. There was a nor'easter the first three days we stayed there, so we didn't get to see the sunrise for our first three days. My husband woke me up on the first day without clouds, and we walked across the street to the beach and watched the sunrise together. The waves were still huge from the storm, and I was able to capture these pictures with my iPhone. I think I'm going to get some of them blown up on canvases to put in the beach house. Maybe a few to put in our primary residence also. I'm so blessed to have this beautiful second home, and my husband has worked so hard. I can't wait to go back. So many more sunrises and sunsets to see. We've been married for 31 years. What's up, beaches? OBX sunrise, sunrise, outer backs, hashtag Rodan the hashtag no filter, hashtag no filter needed, hashtag blessed. <laughs> I didn't realize when I said uh, hashtag what's up, beaches last service, what she was saying until <laughs> I read it out loud. Went, oh, man, yeah, we'll do it again. All right, so. We would all agree that Beth is blessed, wouldn't we? Maybe perhaps like Lisa, and I don't know these people. I don't know. Maybe they go to their church. I don't know. Lisa and her family is experiencing financial security and opportunity. And she writes, huge shout out to Aldi. My husband is a shift manager here at our local Aldi in Florida. He has been working long hours for the past few weeks. We were already impressed by Aldi for being willing to increase the pay for their employees temporarily. They also gave associates the ability to shop prior to opening. Lunch has been provided every day for his store and the willingness for Aldi to hire temp help realizing their employees needed help. On top of all this, they have now given every employee in his store a care package of toilet paper paper towels, two cases of water, and 24 cans of food. I should note that this was from March 2020, which makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? That's like a gold mine she's sitting on. 
A company's actions during this time truly show how they care for their employees. Hashtag Aldi, hashtag COVID, hashtag this too shall pass, and hashtag blessed. Maybe you think of blessing as some sort of financial security, some sort of, I don't know, opportunity that lies before you. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like this family. This comes from Yusuf, who is clearly believing that blessing is long life. In fact, Yusuf writes, imagine taking a photo with you, your mom, your mom's mom, your mom's mom's mom, and your mom's 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 mom. Hashtag blessed. Wouldn't you feel great? Wouldn't that be super cool to do? I think that'd be pretty cool. Be a blessed life for sure. But then I found this one, this nugget, and I couldn't skip it. Some weird people even consider being married to the same person year after year a blessing. Can you imagine? I mean, my wife, I mean, can you imagine how that feels blessed? Keith writes, happy 31st birthday, Molly. I hope this next year is even better than 30. I love you so much, and I'm so blessed to be your husband. Aww. Hashtag birthday, hashtag beauty, hashtag my love, hashtag fear the beard, and hashtag blessed. So when I went into Facebook, and I don't know crazy Facebook algorithms, I don't know who these people are, and I put in hashtag blessed, and this popped up. I did their wedding a couple years ago. This is one of my former students from my church in Colorado. And so I called him. I said, dude, thank you so much. You're going to be my sermon on Sunday. You should tune in. He said, all right, what time? He has no idea. But Keith, thank you for letting me use this picture and your hashtag blessed. You and Molly are very blessed. May God continue to bless your marriage. All right, here's the question. Are these people blessed? How do you know? Well, it's obvious. I mean, if you had a second vacation home on a beach, you'd be blessed. Or if you had a great job with a great company who blessed you with toilet paper, (laughs) you'd be blessed. Or if you had all of your family members, none of them had died and everybody was healthy and you could take a photo, you'd be blessed. Or if you were married, you'd be blessed. But what if you were single or poor or divorced or your loved ones have passed? Can you be blessed? What if you're struggling to make it? What if you have more than one job and you're still struggling to make it? Can you be blessed? The idea of blessing first appears in the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter one. So let me just walk you through it real quick to understand, for those of you who don't know, the Bible has 66 books. It starts with Genesis. We're going to be there today to start, and it ends with Revelation. And we call the first 39 books the Old Testament. We call the second 27 books the New Testament. And the reason we call them the Old Testament and the New Testament is because both of them testify, that's the word testament, to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So when you go back and read your Old Testament, everything is pointing forward to Jesus. When you read Jesus' story, the first four books, the Gospels, we call them, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then the rest of them tell us about his life in us, the church, and then one day when he will return for us. And that's the Bible in a nutshell. 
But the reason we don't call it, say, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible is because it's not the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. The reason we don't call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, there's actually more than one covenant. The whole idea is that this testifies to Jesus, this testifies to Jesus. So if you ever really want to understand something you're learning about or reading in the New Testament, go back and look for its roots in the Old Testament and find out what did God have to say about this before So in Genesis, the very first book, in the very first chapter, it kicks off with this big picture view of the creation of the cosmos. And then chapter two narrows down into one particular part of that, Adam and Eve in the garden. And in chapter one, what God creates on days one, two, and three, he fulfills and fills on days four, five, and six. So day four fills day one, day five fills day two, day six fills day three. And I talked about all of this in August. If you want to know more, I don't have time today. But the reason that's important is when God moves his creation story to the point where he starts to fill his creation with living beings. And the first living beings he fills it with are fishies and birdies. And the reason that he does that is they're filling the water and the skies. But he says to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, I don't have this on the screen. He says, God blessed them. He says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Then six verses later, when he gets to day six and he creates mankind, he says it again. In fact, Genesis chapter one, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is important. The word blessed here is the Hebrew word barak, barak. And it literally means something like to praise or to congratulate or salute. We'll talk more about it next week, but I just want to lay a foundation for us today. When God pronounces a blessing, it's intended to have an action attached to it. It's not just supposed to be like, you know, when somebody sneezes today and you say, oh, God bless you. And you go, what in the world does that mean? Google it later, and you'll find out all kinds of weird theories about where they came from. The idea in the Bible is when God told the birds and the fish, they're the first of the animal creations, when he, when he blessed them, the idea is they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. But so were all the other animals. So the reason he doesn't repeat the blessing over the other animals is he said it the first time, it's true for all living creatures. But then he does say it again to humans because we are not like the animals. So even though I know in many of the schools today, if you're visiting with us, that you have been taught that we just evolved from animals or we're nothing more than an evolved animal of some sort, the Bible doesn't attest to that. The Bible says that we are special and we are unique. So he gives us the same blessing with the, with the idea that there would be an action attached to it, but then also with that blessing comes responsibility. This is powerful because if you keep reading Genesis, what you find is in chapter three, Adam and Eve sin against God and the blessing gets marred. It gets messed up a little bit. So when sin, which is disobedience against God, enters the story, all of a sudden this question should linger in the back of our minds, what happened to the blessing? Can human life still flourish? Will God still take care of and provide for and meet the needs of and love and serve his creation? If you remember, Adam and Eve are running around the garden naked and unashamed, and they're just eating in this beautiful place that God has made for them to build for them. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's nothing worrisome about them. They're just truly enjoying God's beautiful creation and each other in the most free way you could possibly imagine. And then it goes sideways. And all of a sudden, people are 
hurting each other and killing each other and terrible things are happening. So much so that by Genesis chapter six, God brings a flood and he wipes all humankind except for Noah and his family off the earth and starts over. And the world is no longer a safe and peaceful place. It's a very tragic place. Is the blessing of God still present? Well, if you keep following it forward, there's this thread that keeps running through the whole story. So by the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, we meet a man, we'll call him Abraham, though his name starts as Abram. And he's married to a lady, her name starts as Sarai, but later she becomes Sarah. And there's a whole story that I'm not going into right now. But what happens is God calls this man named Abraham and he calls him to follow after me in faith. And he says to him this in Genesis chapter 12, verse two, he says, I will make you into a great nation. Now he's an old man at this point and has no children. And he says, and I will barak, bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a barak, a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be barak or blessed through you. It's the same word used over and over and over and over and over again. And we don't see that in English. Sometimes things get lost in translation. All the married people in the room went, amen, right? Sometimes things get lost in translation because there are actually two Hebrew words for bless and two Greek words, and some of them correlate and overlap but when you read it in English, you just get one word. Same thing with love. And I joke about this a lot, but I love tacos. Taco Tuesday is one of my favorite gifts every single week. But I love my wife different than taco. Now, if I can have Taco Tuesday with my wife, that's a good day right there. <laughs> but the word blessed is similar. So in English, you see one word and then you attach meaning to it because of your culture. Because we live in the wealthiest nation probably in the history of the world. And so when we think of bless, we think of all the vacation homes and maybe marriages or kids or possessions or cars or shoes or golf clubs or maybe, you know, your team is, you know, competing in the playoffs this year. You know, God bless all you Alabama, Michigan fans. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but when the Bible says bless, what does it mean? Well, in Deuteronomy 28, God has not called a man named Moses. And he's saying to Moses, I'm gonna give you this law and you're gonna give this law to the people. And then he tells them, I'm gonna bless you. Now this would have been too many slides, so I didn't give it to our slide team. But in Deuteronomy 28, he actually says there at the beginning, if you decide to look for yourself, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings that he's about to give, and I'll read those, are gonna come on you and accompany you. If you obey the Lord your God, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. This is not fruit of the loom. That's a completely different thing. But your children and your families, they'll be blessed. The crops of your land, remember they were agricultural society. They were farmers. So your jobs will be blessed. The young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but they will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he has given you. Man, doesn't that sound like a great blessing? I mean, here we are. We see it in Genesis 1. We see it in Genesis 12. And if I were to show you more, you'd see it throughout. And we see it again now in Deuteronomy. 
I'm giving you this law so that you will be blessed in every possible way, every part of you, of your life, your work, your family, your home. Everything's going to flourish. Everything's going to thrive. So the way that I can know then that God is blessing me is if all that has happened. Maybe the better way to say it or ask it is, were the promises of blessing to Adam and Abraham intended to point to all the things listed in Deuteronomy 28? My conclusion is no. You may be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And this is where I depart from many famous, popular, wealthy, jet-flying preachers in America today because they love to hijack Old Testament texts like this and remove them from their entire biblical context and make these texts say something they are not saying. How can I know? Let me just see if I can convince you. For instance, Solomon wrote a book. Now, for those of you who don't know Solomon, Solomon is the son of a king. He does become king, King Solomon, the wisest man apart from Jesus ever to live. Solomon is wealthy like you can't imagine. He's got more houses, more land, more vineyards, more wives, more girls on top of his wives called a concubine. He's got clothing like you wouldn't imagine. And he even allows himself to drink the best of the earth. He eats whatever he wants. He, he drinks to the point of excess, but he allows himself to just have and experience everything the world has to offer. And he wrote a book about his experience. It's called Ecclesiastes. Go read it sometime. And in Ecclesiastes, he says over and over and over again, it's meaningless. It's worthless. It's pointless. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. All of the possessions and finest things of the earth, they can only slightly please you, but they can never satisfy the way that you had hoped. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. So if the blessing, whatever those physical things that we can point to and say we're blessed, if those were the point, then why does Solomon have more than anybody? And he goes, I'm miserable. Not only that, but if you go back to Deuteronomy, remember I read you Deuteronomy 28? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, which came earlier, God already told us the point of his physical blessings. In fact, take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. God, it's actually, I think this is Moses now <clears throat> talking. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The purpose of the law of God was not so that God could become some cosmic genie where I rub the lamp and he's the genie in the lamp and he does everything I want him to do. The point of all of it was so that when other nations would look at Israel, they would go, there's something different. See, the nations around Israel worshiped many gods, but those gods weren't listening. They didn't care. They don't love the people. They don't meet the people's needs. And I got to see this up close. So I went in 2012 to our missionaries in India, and we visited one of the schools where Kingsway had helped to build a well 
And not only that, but we were supporting girls in our um, uh, Save the Girl program, where we give them backpacks and clothing to try to save them from the human trade industry. And we were at the school, and um, out front of the school is a massive Hindu god statue. It's got all these different arms. And kids are coming up all the time, touching the statue and laughing and joking. And they're putting flowers and things on the statue. They're bowing down. They're kissing the statue. They're essentially worshiping the statue and asking the statue to do something for them. But meanwhile, there's a well right there provided by Christians in the name of Jesus Christ. Who's the one who actually did something about the problem? And the reason they wanted us to come to the school and to thank us for coming to the school is because they knew where their help was coming from. One time, uh, the, the founder of our mission there had come here just to visit and do a trip, and I got to go sit at Big B Coffee with him. We were just talking, and he was telling me some stories. And I said, you know, just tell me some stories like what God is up to. And one of the stories he told me, and I may be getting some of the details wrong, but one of the stories he told me is, at another place, they had to build a well to give water to the people because they didn't have clean drinking water. And of course, some of the local businessmen saw that and went, oh man, we can make money off this. So they went and bought a piece of land across the, like the street or category or something, and they were going to turn it into a business. And they were going to try to make it hard for the Christians just to give away water and help people. <clears throat> and they kept spending money drilling holes, drilling holes, drilling holes, drilling holes, and they couldn't find water. So they moved further down, they couldn't find water, they moved further down, they couldn't find water, they finally gave up. Even though all the tests had showed there should be water under the ground, for whatever the reason being, God said, no, this one. I don't know how to explain it. You can do what you want with it. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. But what God told Israel is when you obey my laws, everybody else will look at you and go, there is no place on the earth that is as just and as good and as kind and as merciful and as, and as righteous as this group of people. So all of the physical blessings were supposed to be an outward sign that made other people look at God himself and say, he listens, he cares, he's paying attention. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, it actually goes on and says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. Do you see it? The point of the blessings is not so that I could have all these cool things. The point of the blessings is to point back to God himself. So number one, the reason God blesses, when God blesses, is so that I can draw near to him, so that I can come into his presence and just say, thank you, Father. And we'll actually talk more about that next week. That's actually the focus of next week. But then the second reason is to be a testimony to the nations that our God is real and he's present and he cares and he's listening. And you'll never find a God so active, so involved, so engaged like you do here. But if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy 28, which I read earlier, we find a problem in the text. The problem in the text is this. Remember, at the beginning of Deuteronomy 28 and at the end of that section of blessing, God says, if you do everything I commanded you, I'll bless you. If, 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 and then he says the blessings, then if, 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 if. It's what we call a conditional blessing. The blessings only come if you obey. Okay, so here's a question for you. Uh, how well are you obeying everything that God has asked you to do? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. I already know the answer because I do too. 
In fact, right at the end of the blessings in Deuteronomy 28 are the curses. And in the next 10 verses or so, God says, and if you do not keep to my laws and decrees, and if you go after the gods of the other nations, here's what I will do. And then he hands out the curses. And Bible history, remember I told you, starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation, right there, kind of three-fourths of the way through is Matthew, starts off the New Testament. But if you come right back to towards the beginning of the book, we find what we call the history books. These are book, books like Joshua, or sorry, Judges, uh, Joshua too, Judges, and First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. And if you just take one of those books, those history books, just take the one of Judges. What you'll see over and over again is Israel had a great relationship with God kind of at the beginning, and then there was this you know, fall, sinful period where they kind of fell down, and then God sends in a judge, and he calls them back and rescues them, and they come back up, and then they go back down, and then they come back up, and then they go back down, but each down is further than the down before, and each up is not as high as the one before. So by the time you get to judges, they are just getting further and further and further from God. And kings are the same way, and chronicles are the same way. So finally, it gets to the point, and the point of many of the prophets of the Old Testament, books like Isaiah, books like Jeremiah, is these prophets are saying to the people of Israel, come back, repent before it's too late. God has already promised to bless you if you follow and obey, but if you cease to follow and obey, the curses are waiting, and Israel wouldn't return. So God sent in. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and they came in, and the Israelites for hundreds of years lived under captivity. Brings us to this question. Who has ever kept the commands of God perfectly? Not in ancient Israel. What about today? You? Your kids, your parents, me? David realizes this. David is a king blessed by God. He's the, the second king, but really the first of the good kings. And David, though, blessed by God, has an abundance. I mean, he has given so much stuff. In fact, at one point, God even tells him, why did you sin against me, David? All you had to do was ask, I would have given you even more. But David, at one point, commits adultery. And then to cover up that, he has the husband of the woman that he had the affair with murdered. And when David is writing about this, he's repenting, which means he's returning to the Lord. We see one of these in Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, David says, and sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a contrite heart. We don't use the word contrite very much. It means a, a, a humility, a brokenness about me. This says simply, I have sinned, and I am a sinner, and I am in desperate need of a Savior. That's my condition. This is Matt Nickerson speaking, not King David. That is my condition. I have sinned, I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. See, if you follow this thread from Genesis, before sin entered, God desired to flourish and to bless and he showed it again in Abraham, and he shows it again in David, and he shows it again in Solomon. And it's throughout all these different places that I didn't have time to read you, and it's in the law, and it's all over the place. 
But the problem is the human condition keeps getting in the way. We keep coming up against this barrier where God says, I want to bless you. I want to unleash my flourishing. I want to unleash my favor. I want to unleash all these things upon you, but I can't do it because sin keeps getting in the way because it's conditional. Are you with me? And then Matthew shows up. You know what Matthew does? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospel books that tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew and Luke, the first and third book, they start with his birth narrative and telling us about that. Mark just skips it. He's like, I just want to get right to the point. Let's just start with the ministry, and and he's the fastest, shortest book. John, John is a very intelligent and special kid doing his own thing in the world. And half the time you're like, John, what are you doing? Anyway, these two stories are amazing because of where they go and how they tell the story. Matthew, greatest named book in the Bible, Matthew starts off in chapter one with something called a genealogy. It's like (laughs) ancestry.com. So-and-so, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And if you ever decide, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start, I'm gonna read the Bible this year. I'm gonna start with the book of Matthew. And you get to chapter one, you're like, never mind. I'm gonna start with Revelation. You get to chapter four, never mind. I'm gonna start, <laughs> that's just how it goes, right? Because Matthew chapter one, it's like, oh, what do I have to realize? Can I just skip to chapter two? If you do, you're missing it. Because what Matthew is trying to do to us is he's trying to take you all the way back. If you look, he goes all the way back to David. He goes all the way back to Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam because he's trying to show you the blessing that was promised is here. It's in him. Jesus plus nothing is everything. You don't need anything else or anyone else to be happy, favored, loved, adored, cherished, to flourish. It is all, he is all you need. And when Jesus came, he came to bless us with a new identity, a new family, a new connection, because our problem of continuing to disobey God and break the law was solved in him when he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and gave us what we could not have accomplished on our own. And now I'm going to ask you to do something really weird. I'm going to ask you just to pull out a Bible. Go ahead. It's okay if you didn't bring one. We should have provided one unless the last service stole them, which would be a great problem to have. It'd be phenomenal if everybody took one. And you don't know how to use it, don't worry. So on, theoretically, if, if I did this right, I went and grabbed some Bibles in the room and looked them up. So on page 895 of the Bible we provide, it's New Living Translation. So if you're watching at home, you want to grab a Bible, great. If you want to pull out your phone, use your Bible app, don't care. I just want everybody to have a Bible. If you can't find page 895, 895, or if I'm wrong and your Bible's off by a little bit and you don't know how to figure it out, no worries, no worries. It's all going to be up here on the screen. I just want you to feel the paper in your skin like this is the office, right? Like paper is still used thing in this world. All right. Now, here's what I'm going to do that's really weird. And if this makes you uncomfortable, just give me a ton of grace. Come back next week. I'll do a different weird thing. It'll be fine. All right. Paul, the apostle, is pondering everything I'm telling you today. And he's sitting around thinking about it. And Paul has moments where he has an abundance of resources, an abundance of resources. And then he has other moments where he can barely survive. And he's pondering these things. And he's writing about them. In fact, in another place in the book of Philippians, Paul says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances, whether I have much or not enough. So is Paul blessed when he has a lot and not blessed when he has a little? 
as he's pondering these things, he captures them in Ephesians chapter one. And here's your homework assignment. And we're gonna invite God in just a moment. We're gonna ask God to make a word or a phrase or a sentence stand out to you and stick to you. I've been praying this all week. I've been praying this this morning. We did this last service. And if you wanna take a pen or a highlighter and underline it, I don't want you to lose it. That some phrase in here is gonna jump out at you. But let's, let's ask God to do that first, right? Let's pray. Father God, as we just open up Ephesians 1 right now, and we just read Paul's pondering of your blessing, God, I pray that you would make this real and bring it home to us. God, help every man, woman, old and young, no matter what they're dealing with or facing right now, God, open their eyes, open their hearts. May they hear a word from you about how much they are blessed in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Ephesians 1, verse three. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And here's the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now friends, you are blessed. Not because you're rich or poor or married or single or healthy or not, you are blessed. Because before the world began, God in Christ chose you to be one with him, to give you eternal life, to throw your sins as far as the east is from the west, to draw you to himself, to be an ever-present help in your time of distress, to never leave you or forsake you, to be with you even to the very end of the age. Because he is a good now, what I want you to do is I want you to pull out your cell phone. In church, yes. And I want you to text a friend whatever word or verse stood out to you. I want you to go onto Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever you use. And I just want you to hashtag bless whatever the word or phrase that stood out to you so that if some other person should happen to go into hashtag bless and their whatever they use social media, it's gonna be flooded 
with a group of people who understand that it isn't the houses and the cars and the marriage and the clothes and the purses and the golf clubs or the whatever. It is Jesus himself that is our blessing. Now, with just the few moments that I have left, let me start my sermon. So that was just the intro. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Matthew, that, remember that fourth gospel or the first gospel? Matthew begins with a genealogy. Luke begins telling us about the story of some births. Andy covered some of this last week. So if you weren't here, there's an old couple and God has promised them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a baby boy. Does it sound familiar at all? Remember all the way back, Abraham, the blessing in Genesis? Remember that? And when God told Abram and Sarai, even though you're old, you're going to have a child. That's not an accident in the story. I could make so many of these kinds of connections. It would just start to blow your mind. You'd be like, oh my goodness, how is this happening? Because God is making sure everything works out according to plan. So God comes to this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth says, you're going to have a baby. And that baby would be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He would be the most important prophet ever to live because he would be the one who sets up Jesus. Now, we're going to do one, two, skip a few, because <clears throat> next week we're going to talk about Mary, but I just got to give a little bit of Mary stuff to make this part make sense. So God then goes to a young virgin girl. We'll talk a little bit about that, very, very, very little bit about that next week. And he says to her, you're going to have a baby. And everybody goes, well, how's that possible? And God says, really? I mean, I've done everything else. I can do anything. So he says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. But Mary lives in a small town. You ever lived in a small town? Everybody knows everything. So Mary gets pregnant and not very many people want to believe her story, but Elizabeth does. And Elizabeth just happens to be Mary's aunt. So Mary leaves and goes to Elizabeth's house. In Luke, that's where I want to pick up real quick and read something to you. In Luke chapter one, verse 39, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Is it an accident that she picks this word? No. Why? This is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Barak. She is directly, or I should say Luke, as he's telling the story, is directly tying this all the way to Abraham, all the way to Adam, all the way back. The blessing that God has promised, the blessing is here. Mary, you are blessed, but I am a poor young female in a small town without hardly any resources. I'm gonna give birth to a baby I am not equipped to raise. I'm gonna try to care for him. People are gonna chase us, trying to kill us within the first few years of our lives. We're gonna be running all over the place, giving birth in places we have no house to stay. Oh, but you're blessed. Well, how can I be blessed when I have no physical outward sign of blessing? Because the savior of the world is in you. And then Elizabeth goes on and says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And this word for blessed is actually a different word we'll talk about next week. But the whole idea here is I am blessed just for having been in the presence of you because you are carrying Jesus. And perhaps the bigger point is this. 
my wife and I, um, we continue to get older. It's crazy how that happens. And as we were in Ohio this week, uh, we were hanging out with my family and my sister, she has uh, two twin girls who are early teens. And then about four years ago, God surprised them with a little baby girl. And her name is Nori, and she's super cute and adorable and the center of everybody's attention. And it's hard for my youngest to get that. But we go back up there, and Nori is just a ball of energy. She's just tons and tons of energy. And I'm, I just think it's awesome. I'm like, yes, this is great, right? Like, we should have another one. And my wife's like, no. No, we're not doing that. And what my wife understands, and my wife is really wise, my wife gets, is that uh, having children is a young man's game. I don't know for those of you who've had kids older. We had kids older. And there's plenty of times I'm like, man, you did not get the best of me, kids. Like, you, you could have had the really energetic 25-year-old Matt. Instead, you got the slightly less energetic 40-year-old Matt. And it's just different. It's a young man's game. Well, Elizabeth is not a young woman anymore. Elizabeth is an older woman. And she has a baby in her. And yet she brings Mary into her home and says, stay with me for three months. Let me care for you. Let me be a mother to you while I'm, she's further along. John the Baptist is coming first. So while I'm uncomfortable and miserable and not feeling my best, I'm gonna care for you because I believe that I have been blessed to be a blessing. And therein lies the purpose of biblical blessings. God has blessed us in Jesus Christ to bless others. That's why we have any blessing that we have. I will talk more next week about what to do with our blessings when we get them, because God does give them. But the reason that God has blessed us is so that we can be a blessing to other people. Now, with that in mind, here's what we're doing as a church to live this out. So we reached out to one of our community partners. They're called Shepherd Community Center. And they help in the inner city with families who don't have enough resources. So we went to them and said, what can we do? They said, everybody wants to buy gifts for little kids. So do you. I know, many of you have come to us and said, can't we just buy gifts for little kids? We're like, no, other churches are taking care of that. And what they said is, nobody likes teenagers. Just kidding, they didn't really say that. <laughs> well, we do. So we said, we'll take your teenagers. And we have five, we've committed 500 presents to teenagers. There are 125 left just for this service. And they're due by next Sunday, next Sunday. So here's what you do. Go in the hallway, right on the Christmas trees hanging out there. You'll find either a red tag for the girls, a green tag for the boys. It's one gift per tag. So you can take as many tags as you want, but it's one gift per tag. Ages nine to 12, here's just some suggestions of what you could buy a nine to 12 year old. Here's a price range, say roughly 25 to $30. This is an all hands on deck event for everybody. But our kids and student ministries are doing things a little bit different. Our kids and student teams are going out and they're getting stuffed animals, brand new, unwrapped, not your kids, throw away, they don't want them anymore. New stuff, unwrapped, and uh, board games. And they're already starting to bring them in. And kids team, if Pastor Joe, and they meet all the commitments, he's gonna get a pie in his face. And I've been trying to talk Darren into shaving his head all morning. I don't know if I'll succeed, but work with me here, parents, all right? Let's see if we can make it happen. All right, now, what you do is go buy the present. Next Sunday, bring it back, drop it in the box. People are already bringing them in. Unwrapped, don't wrap it, bring it in, put your tag on it. It'll be, there's a box of girls, a box of boys, drop it off and we will take care of the rest, handing it off to them. 125 left, grab one, because guess what? We are blessed to be a blessing. Now, let me wrap this up with this. <clears throat> it's Christmas, right? Now imagine, for those of you, maybe you have kids, imagine you just have kids for a minute. Imagine it's Christmas time, and you give your kids presents, and your kids take those presents, and they open them, 
And for your entire time off for Christmas break, they don't talk to you once because all they're doing is playing with their toys. Now, some of you are going, how do I make that happen, Pastor? (laughs) But for the rest of us, wouldn't there come a point where you go, this isn't about the toy. Like, at least a thank you, at least a... Like, I bought you a toy, but I, I bought you a toy so we could play together. And have you ever noticed you give your kids their toys, and have you noticed that they get bored by the time it's noon? And they literally look at you, and they but I have nothing to play with. And you're thinking, you have a room full of toys. I will literally. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, wow, your kids. No, it was me. That was me as a kid growing up. Because the toys can't satisfy, but the relationship can and I want to invite you into that relationship. We have two people already. I think they were baptized between the services. I didn't get to be in the room to see it happen. Maybe it's after the service. We had two baptisms today. Two people who raised their hand and said, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Whatever exactly God does to bless me in this life, I need Jesus. Listen, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you right here, right now into that. Because it's not about the toys. God does love to give toys, doesn't he? God loves to give toys, but the toys, if he takes them all away, they're irrelevant. They're all going to stay behind. What is important is Jesus himself. So if you've never given your life to Jesus and you're ready today, I just want to encourage you right now, raise your hand. I know this is awkward. It's more awkward than the thing we did earlier. Just raise your hand. We have a team of people that are ready to come and just hand you a card to start a conversation. You don't have to know everything it means. You just have to begin with an initial decision to say, I need Jesus. You gotta raise it high enough for them to see though. Can't do this little little T-Rex arm thing. You gotta gotta get it up high enough for them to see and they're gonna come to you and hand you a card and say, let's talk. And the rest of us are gonna pray a blessing right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as people are still raising their hands and deciding, what do I do, what do I do? God, I pray that you would take this message and sink it deep into our hearts. God, if you took away our house, our cars, our clothes, our purses, our shoes, our golf clubs, God, even if you were to take away our health, we'd still have you. And what more do we need? Jesus Christ is eternal life. We have everything we need for life and godliness in you. So God, I pray right now. I pray for the the person, the widow. God, I pray for the person who's lost a loved one recently. And they're coming into the Christmas season and their heart is heavy and they're aching. God, may you comfort them with the comfort of your love. May the church be the church right now and surround them and reach out to them and so they wouldn't physically feel alone, God, even though they're missing someone they love dearly in their heart. God, I pray right now for those who are struggling to make ends meet in one way or another. God, I pray that you would let the church be the church like through the Shepherd Community Center. God, may we come alongside them and and meet their physical needs so that we can point them to their eternal spiritual needs in Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now for the family who's just going through it. Their heart is heavy and they've just got junk going on and they don't know what to do about it. Oh God, meet them in this place. Make Jesus come alive in their family right now as they begin to see and open their eyes and understand who you are and what you're doing in the world and how deep our need really is for a savior. God, I pray that you would break through, bring some healing and some forgiveness and some restoration, God through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. We ask all these things and all God's people say.